right. You've made it in successfully to the Invest Well Show. I know. It's like, what? Successfully? Yeah, you've tuned into the right spot. Mr. Cook is joining us live in studio, and we are here to give you some insight and help you with information that will uh, help give, hopefully, a little more clarity in your financial life. And Randy, I know clarity is important. And unfortunately, when you run in the rain with your glasses on, you <laughs> miss the opportunity to have clarity because all yeah, those raindrops. They need to they need to come up with that Rainex stuff for your for your sunglasses or something. I don't know. They should. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, Elton John, I'm sure had some sunglasses or glasses that had windshield wipers on them. I'm sure he had to have that, didn't he? So if you spray the here's a little 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 tip. Okay. I know you weren't expecting this. This is a this is a freebie. All right, this is a freebie for me. Michael Wall here sharing a little freebie tip. <laughs> that is, if you're getting ready to run and you have glasses and you're spraying on the uh, the Windex or the uh, uh, the Rain-X, really. Hopefully, we well, do Windex first, make sure it's clean. All right. And then you dry it. And then you put the Rain-X on so it sticks well. Uh-huh. Uh, if it's a aerosol or spray bottle, do not spray the Rain-X with your mouth open. <laughs> Very important. Are you speaking from experience? I'm speaking from uh, not experience, but I'm just saying I could see how someone could forget, get excited, because they're getting ready to go run and get worked out and, uh. you know, ah, I'm, I'm picturing. I my mouth. I'm picturing the person spraying their glasses while their glasses are on, and that's probably a mistake too. So. Yeah. Meanwhile, meanwhile, all their saliva is like running out of their mouth, 300 miles an hour. Like, what the heck is going on here? <laughs> okay. all, all right. right. So here we are. We wanted to jump in today and talk about some things. Uh, we're going to cover three topics that I know are going to be important to you. They're going to help you in your investment life. And as always, many of you may know, you might be coming over from the Michael Wall Show. That's a show that's been around for about three and a half years. If you have not listened to that show, I encourage you. It's a great show, motivational, great guest. Just search Michael Wall, W-A-L-L, Michael Wall Show on your favorite podcast app. And this show specifically is focused on investing. Obviously, we always have to give our shout out to our sponsors of the show, which is uh, Wall Companies, Wall Private Wealth, Wall Wealth Management, and Wall Lehman. Those are three other companies that I own, have had for about 18 years, helping families protect, grow, reduce taxes on their wealth, and advance consulting for their businesses, succession planning, etc. So you want more information about that, just go over to leanonthewall.com. But Randy, I wanted to talk for a minute about markets. And I think that's important because, you know, people are watching the Dow, they're watching the S&P. You know, I just saw a, uh, a post from Trump talking about how, hey, you know, if the Fed would be doing its job, the market would be five to 10,000 points higher than it is right now. Hmm. And, uh, you know, he's he's saying that, you know, he doesn't agree with the, the quantitative tightening that we are in. He thinks we should go back into the season of quantitative easing, which is essentially the Fed printing more money and buying back treasuries. And I would say that I don't know that I fully agree with that. You need to have some time for markets to breathe. And we saw a lot of that in times past. And as you're listening to this, you may remember that back in, or you may not, <laughs> You might have just been on vacation. You forgot. But back in 2011, oh, nine, oh, really, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, almost all the way to 14 almost, there was that season of what they called QE. You remember QE round one, QE round two, et cetera. And that basically is the Fed printing money and buying treasuries, pushing money back into the system. But as we look at the markets right now, you know, Randy, one of the things that we know is we are still in a place with, uh, we'll call it the S&P. Okay, anyways, we're in a place with the S&P where, you know, the last real high, if you will, was around 
geez, that was right around right uh, before September, October. October. Yeah, October. Yeah. First week of yeah. October, yeah. That's exactly right. So we got what? So it's around 29, almost 2930, if you will, in September of uh, 2018. And right now we're at 2903 as we're shooting this today, which is which is Monday, the 15th tax day, by the way. So the question is, will markets continue to go up? Now, I know you have a crystal ball <laughs> and I rented it from you for the hour. Okay. It's actually please. a magic eight ball and it says, come back oh, and ask later all the time. Come back. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I thought it was, see, I got the wrong, uh, maybe got I got the wrong, the wrong ball. ball. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. So the reality of it is, I just want to share this. One of the things that you got to remember is, as you're investing out there, we literally are still in the uh, the highest or the longest, if you will, the bull market in history. Now, I know there's been a little bit of pullback, but it hasn't been a significant enough amount of pullback, in my opinion, in the research that I've done. You know, it's just at the New York Stock Exchange the other week. Professor Schiller was up there as well, Yale professor, and he's done a lot of research in the industry. And we were just talking about a variety of different things. But one of the things in particular was what kind of legs does this market have left to continue to go up? And the answer to that is, you know, I think we need to be real cautious right now. Mm -hmm. We don't want to get too greedy. One of the biggest reasons that people will lose money is because of greed. Greed is a problem. You might say, as you're listening, as you're like, I'm not greedy. You know, it reminds me of the old farmer down home, Randy, that said, uh, I don't want all the land. I just want all the land next to mine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. At some point in time, that becomes all the land. And, you know, when we look at the market, a lot of times, you know, we hear the Dow, the Dow, the Dow, the Dow's up, the Dow's down, which is primarily 30 companies. Now, they're different parts of the Dow, but the one they're speaking of specifically, around 26,000 and change, is the 30 companies. But I like to use and prefer to use the S&P. And the reason is is because there's 500 different companies. So it gives us a better litmus test of what's actually happening. And if we take a look at what happened with the Dow, or even in the S&P, quite honestly, but primarily S&P now that I'm talking about that, every time we kind of get back up close to the previous resistant point, which was back in September, October of last year, we're in a situation where we're never able to really break through. So the question is, does that point in the end of September become our new ceiling? Mm-hmm. meaning that's that, that's a problem. We have a problem breaking through it, and then the market starts to revert down the other way. Or do we end up breaking through it, and does it become a floor? Those are the questions that we need to be asking. And right now, uh, there's too much uncertainty with the answer to that question to be able to you know keep a lot of risk in the portfolio. And that's why we must think about de-risking. Well, Michael, one of the things that everybody asks is what's keeping this market up? I mean, we, I, I know you're, we're hitting this resistance level and we just kind of falter once we get above 26,000 in the Dow. I got mm-hmm. an article in front of me here that talks about one of the things that people think has brought the market to this place and kept it there, and that's stock buybacks. You hear this all yeah. the time, is that companies are buying back their own stock, thereby making their bottom line look better, and then yeah. people buy their stock stock. So what if the buybacks don't take place? What if we get to a point where there are no buybacks? That's what this article is talking about. And it says it doesn't look good. Well, I think, Randy, that's a great point. And this is something that I've been talking about for years, by the way. So as you're listening to this, if you don't follow us and follow some of the things that we're doing, I challenge you to do so. Feel free to reach out to us. Info, I-N-F-O, that's I-N-F-O, at leanonthewall.com, just like it sounds, lean on the wall, L-E-A-N-O-N-T-H-E-W-A-L-L. Info at leanonthewall.com is the email. And in the subject line, just put 
Michael's research and information or just Michael's research, whatever. And then somewhere in the email, make sure you let us know who you are and we'll put you on the list. That way you can get my videos and things like that, that I'm doing the moments with Michael's and other things. Because Randy, this is something that I have been talking about for years. I've been talking about QE. I just talked about it a little bit earlier in the show. I've been talking about corporate buyback. You know, a lot of people say, hey, the stocks are doing so great. We're on a honeymoon. Well, the reality of it is uh, a little over 93% of the companies that actually the, on a weighted average have been pushing the markets are primarily the FANG companies, the uh-huh. Facebook, you know, Apple, Netflix, et cetera. And the article that you're referencing, I was able to pull it up. So thank you for that. It shows a little bit more of the specifics of the companies. And here's the deal. For the year 2018, so think about this. As you're listening to this out there, I want you to think about this. You might say, hey, I owned Apple, or I owned this stock, or I owned that stock, and it did really, really well. Well, here's a list of the top, um, this article that you're, you're referencing is calling them buyback queens, okay? Buyback queens. Apple bought back $74 billion worth of shares, of their own shares. Oracle bought back $29 billion. Wells Fargo, $21 billion. Microsoft, $16 billion. Merck was about $9 billion. And, you know, it's, it's really important when you take a look at this. And then it goes on down through talking about how many shares are being shed. In other words, people selling. So this is a big, big problem. And you're exactly right, uh, Randy. You're in a situation where if you own a company and you're buying back your shares... Everybody knows, or you should know, that the movement of a stock and the movement of the market primarily moves based on supply and demand. And if there's demand and the supply goes down, the price goes up. So as these companies are buying their stocks back, they're in a situation where that is actually increasing the price. But the question is, is it an artificial increase? And I really believe it is. And the reason is, is because it's not the market. It's it's the company or the senior executives, if you will, controlling the purchase and sale of how much they're buying back. $74 billion, even though Apple's a massive company, is a lot of money to throw in the, into the fire, if you will. That's fuel in the fire. So this is an important thing. And the consumer, the investor, you, as you're listening to this, need to be aware of these facts. Because if you're not, guess what? It's real easy for people with you know, large amounts of shares of these companies to click the button, sell their shares, and all of a sudden you're like, ah, and when it comes down, I believe this this market's going to come down real fast. The good news, Randy, is, is there, there are ways to invest your money and be in a place where you can protect yourself on the downside, but yet still be in a place where you have opportunity on the upside. But the material point is to pay attention and to really understand what's under the hood, if you will. And unfortunately, most investors, even though they read and do research and things like that, because there's so much information out there, it's just challenging to find the information that you need to make the decisions that you need to make. So it's it's important that we're talking about this stuff. It reminds me of the conversation that we had when we talked about the market being pulled up by these companies that don't yeah produce anything where we talked about stocks of old caterpillar and john deere and ibm and and ge they all made something something you could hold on to and it was like there was some substance there but then when you look at netflix and you look at google and you look at some of these stocks they don't produce anything it's like it's false and and, well when you talk about a market being held up by companies buying back their stocks it seems false Well, two things that is important, and then we can put this topic to bed, but it's important things to understand. You know, here's here's what's been said by the Goldman strategists, and that is repurchases have consistently been the largest source. Now, listen to this for a minute. If you've been tuned out just a bit or you got caught by you're driving down the road and somebody's running down the street, you got distracted. Pay attention to this. 
repurchases, which is just what we talked about. Companies and, and senior level execs buying their shares back, which pushes the stock price up. Okay, a Goldman strategist said this, repurchases have consistently been the largest source of U.S. equity demand. Now, without company buybacks, demand for shares would fall dramatically. Now, what's another interesting point, back in 1982, a lot of people may, may not know this, but share buybacks were actually considered securities fraud under most conditions. Wow, that's interesting. Until 1982, and then they became legal. So think about this for a minute. That's really, really important when we look at the overall growth of what's happening out there. Now, now, granted, you can make some money in the process, but we just have to be careful if, if we're at the peak of the market overall. And obviously, people are, you know, they're shifting money to alternative in different places, and, and they're looking maybe for income and other things. I mean, because their story's changing. Well, it is interesting for sure. And one of the ways that we keep in touch with this is through the financial networks. And you never really know what story you're getting there. Michael, you have been a guy who's commented on the financial networks and did that for quite a few years. And every now and then I like to grab something that I find interesting and get your take on it. Mm -hmm. And one of them was from CNBC just recently. And they were talking about where money is moving right now. Yeah. What are people purchasing right now? Where is the money being shoved? And right now they're talking about billions going into muni bonds. Take a listen to this. You look at investor flows into muni bonds this year, they're topping $20 billion. That is the highest in 13 years. Analysts say taxpayers who face higher taxes because of the new cap on state and local tax deductions are pouring into munis as tax havens. Now, income from muni bonds is exempt from federal tax and often from state and local tax. If you have a 10-year muni that yields only 2%, as Joe just mentioned, the taxable equivalent could be 4% or higher. So, Michael, is this all due to the new Trump tax reform? And some, and is this a tax move that, that people are moving into? Well, think about it this. First off, everybody wants to try and make every piece of conversation political <laughs> because they know it's going to get picked up. People are going to talk about it more. You know, if they can attach Trump to whatever they're doing, the chances are people are going to view it more, talk about it more, you know, because there's going to be controversy of some sort or whatever it may be on both sides. And that's why they talked about just a tax play. Is it true that munis give the opportunity to have tax-free income? Yes. Is it true that munis are always the best investment? No. Is it true that everybody should invest in munis? No. I mean, it's got to be a case-by-case -case situation. And quite honestly, even a 4% tax equivalent yield that he was referencing there, you know, 2% return, but the actual tax equivalent yield from the tax savings, there's a lot of factors there. The first factor is what your actual tax bracket is. And the second factor is, you know, 4% is really not that great anyways, because mm -hmm. there's, you know, opportunity other places where you actually get a higher rate of return and even still get some tax favored income. But even more importantly than that, I think that the thing that you have to look at is they're saying, hey, this is the largest year, I think he said, like in the last, what, 13 years, I believe is what right. it was, right? Mm -hmm. So of money's going into munis, and it's, it's all about the fact that people are trying to avoid taxes. Well, I'm not saying that that's not part of the issue, but let's think about this for a minute. As you're listening to this, think about it. The baby boomer generation once was the largest generation in the country, 77, almost 78 million people that were moving into retirement back in the 2000s, and now they're even farther into retirement. Now, a lot of those boomers were wise with their money. They lived beneath their means. Uh, they have pensions. They got Social Security. They got some other things. But because they've been living in retirement now for a couple of years, they're in a place where maybe those pensions and Social Securities and things like that aren't necessarily satisfying all of their income needs, which means they need to position money over into some type of vehicle that's going to give them income and increase their income. Inflation has happened. 
you know, the cost of goods and services back in 2000 are not the same as the cost of goods and services today. I mean, I remember back just, you know, not that long ago when gas, gasoline was 75, 85 cents a gallon. And now it's a couple of dollars. So when you factor all of that stuff in, I think it has to be looked at the fact the reason there's record numbers, I'm not saying it doesn't have anything to do with the tax issue because I believe some of it does for sure. But I believe a lot of it has to do with you got the largest generation before. Now they're not the largest, but they are the generation with the most amount of money starting to look for opportunities and resources and investment structures and products that can give them the ability to actually create income that's sustainable and consistent in the most tax-favored manner. So that would be the thinking of why, in my opinion, Randy, people are doing that. Great thoughts, Michael. And as we close today, I I think I, I can't get over the whole Tiger Woods story. So I always say it is never too late to reinvent yourself and have success later in life. So keep yourself open and uh, we'll bring it to a close for today. Well, I think it's a great point because at the end of the day, you know, one of the things that, that they teaches us is Tiger was open to getting new coaches, new clubs, new swing, new stuff. And that ultimately created a different result for him. And, and, you know, that's one of the things in the financial space people need to be thinking about. You know, just because they're doing what they're doing doesn't mean they don't need to get a second set of eyes. It's important. You got to be open to new ideas and uh, helping you get to where you need to go. So if you got questions, you want to learn more, if you just got that appetite that you want to, you know, find more things. I've done some videos. We've got some Forbes articles, other things that you can peruse and go uh, read and listen to. And all you need to do is head over to leanonthewall.com. Again, Lean on the Wall. Learn lots of information there. But hey, thanks for tuning in. We appreciate your listenership. We would love your feedback and comments wherever you're listening to this, whether it's iTunes or Spotify or Google Play or whatever. Feel free to do that and uh, give us your thoughts and feedback and comments so we know what you'd like to hear more of, et cetera. If you want to reach out to us directly and send that request of, hey, would you mind covering this? Just send an email to info, I-N-F-O, info at leanonthewall.com. As always, This is your challenge to go out there and live on purpose so you can live with purpose and share this show with someone who needs help in their investment life as well. Have a great one. Be blessed. Michael Wall is an investment advisor representative of Wall Private Wealth, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell any financial vehicle. Financial professionals are not licensed in all 50 states. To find out if Michael Wall is licensed in your state, please call 888-511-9255. Wall Private Wealth is not affiliated with nor endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any other government agency and does not provide legal or tax advice. Annuity guarantees rely solely on the financial strength and claims paying ability of the issuing insurance company. By contacting us, you may be provided with information about insurance and annuity products offered through Michael Wall. NPN Insurance License Number 7330010.